verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now, fast forward to verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your commands, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word on Father's Day, uh, which has no real connection with what it is that, that you have put into the world. Lord, this, as our brother John has said, is a holiday invented uh, by our culture. We are able to say, though, that it is good. It is good to honor father and mother. 
It is good to show respect where respect is to be given and honor where honor to be is to be given. And yet we live with a good heavenly father, one whom we should honor and respect each and every day. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to think about fatherhood, to think about doing right by children and and, and walking in the way that you have created us. But Lord, we also pray that through what we say, we would see you. I pray for each and every one of us here this morning as we think through the scriptures, if there are ways in which we think and conceive of you that are in error, that you would remove them and help us to understand who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, we pray, too, that you would help us to show honor and respect to those who have cared for us, to those who continue to care for us, and to those who work for our benefit. Lord, we thank you for the good gifts that you've given to us, and we pray that you would teach us now by your grace and for your glory through Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, I'm able to say, as I consider Father's Day, that I'm thankful for my dad. He grew up without a father present in his life for most of his life, uh, but that was not something that he ever claimed as a liability. He was present in my life. Uh, He was a friend to me and a fan of me, and yet he did what all fathers must do for their sons and daughters. He compassionately loved and firmly corrected me, and I needed a strong set of guardrails. You know those little white things that they put in parking lots, you know, to guide you and direct you around? That's not the kind of guardrail I need. I need the strong metal one, you know? Uh, that's at the side of the road to keep you from going off the cliff. My dad was and is a provider, and he faithfully cared for my brother and I, continues to work hard at providing for my mother to this day. Um, There's a story that I think kind of fits with the image of who my dad is. After 40 years in a church, uh, they've, they've recently moved, Uh, He's always been a hard worker, good, solid work ethic. My dad was the IBM repair guy who showed up to fix your your photocopier when it went on the fritz. You know, white shirt, tie, you know, like reliable guy. And uh, after checking in at a particular business for years, the secretary would always say, uh, who's who's visiting? And and he would say, Ed, Ed Meyer and because his name is Edward Meyer and uh, so so she would check him in and uh, one day he happened to lean over and look at the at the form where um, she was writing his name and instead of writing his name as two words Ed Meyer she was writing it as the single word admire um, which I think is fitting um, father father can be a complex and painful concept for some. Uh, Not everybody has had the opportunity of growing up in what my brother and I have called a blessed bubble. Uh, We were ignorant 
of many of the difficulties and troubles that people face because we had been given so much. And so as I I turn to to talk about fatherhood, I want to acknowledge that um, not everyone's had what I've had. Um, And there's a lot of pain associated with this subject for some. I believe we live in a, a largely fatherless society right now where uh, it is difficult for dad to know how to rightly live because our culture gives very few clues. Uh, There's been a rejection of stereotypes from the 1950s that I think leads to chaos in the culture. It's difficult to point to any major cultural message out there, whether it's movies or television, where you could say, this piece of literature or this television show, it shows a good, engaged father. What, what we see mostly is fathers who are caricatures, uh, bumbling idiots, morons, uh, angry uh, disciplinarians. And so presented with this message, I think since men tend toward either passivity in the face of opposition or an ogre-like behavior, you know, Um, Many men feel rejected or cast aside in our culture and they withdraw into their own private worlds or throw themselves into entertainment. There's not a lot of good role models out there. I asked a, a mentor of mine, a man by the name of Chuck Lawless, why is the culture so different and difficult today? Why is it so different doing the Ministry. This is back in, uh, I believe, 2005 or 2006 when I asked him this. And he said, we are a generation that has grown up without being fathered. We've seen the decay of the family, the decay of marriage, and the decay of morality. And so when we consider fatherhood, when we consider the goodness of this institution which God has created, I want to say this. No matter who you are, no matter what your physical background, you have always had a father. You have always had a father. God, who created you and who created the world and who controls all things and who sent Jesus to the cross to take our sins for us and give us his righteousness, is your Father, and all fatherhood in your life is some reflection of that, whether it was good or bad. The Lord has been there for you, even if you have not been able to see it. And so I don't want to look at a biblical example of, of some Bible character this morning and say, let's look at that guy as a model for fatherhood. Instead, let's look to a model father presented by the Lord Jesus Christ in the parable of the prodigal son. We hear that story presented in a number of different ways, right? It is called the parable of the prodigal son. And so we might think this story is about the boy that ran away. And then sometimes some creative preacher will say, oh, but truly the one we ought to be focusing on is the older brother, right? And so it ought to be called the parable of the two sons or the lost sons. But I think Jesus sets the story in its proper perspective that the story is not about the son so much as it is about the dad. In the passage 
as we look at it in the first three verses, we see that the tax collectors and the sinners were coming to Jesus. They were attracted to him. And there was a crowd that was grumbling and saying, he receives tax collectors and sinners. They're saying, Jesus must be bad. Look at his audience, right? And so we have this competition of the people who are seeking Jesus out, one group seeking to learn from him and be encouraged and accepted by him, and another group seeking to criticize him. And Jesus then tells a parable and says this, there was a man who had two sons. The subject of the sentence is the man. He is the key actor. The sons are used to display the father's character qualities. And so when we think about fatherhood and the role of fathers in our life and the role of God the Father in our life, it is good and fitting to look at this man who Jesus is clearly presenting as the expression of our Heavenly Father and his attitude toward his children. I believe we can find five character qualities of the Father in this passage. If you uh, have ever sat through any message that I've given that involves a number, I tend to eliminate one, and so I'm just going to say them now, and you can like, you know, write them down, and then you won't be like, what was number four? And I'm like, oh, it was this word, and all of these words because it's Father's Day, start with F, okay? So we'll go with that. Uh, the, the father, his character is this. He is foresighted. He is forbearing. He is forgiving. He is forgetful, and he is focused. Foresighted, forbearing, forgiving, forgetful, and focused. Now, as I talk about this, you're going to say a lot of these things apply to moms too, single moms. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I believe that, that, that a piece of the crisis of our culture is, is that we have a deep heart longing to be loved by a mom and to be loved by a dad. And those are are, are, are different kinds of loves. And yes, some people find themselves in the place where they need to play the role of both mom and dad. So I'm not overlooking that as we talk this morning. And so as we consider the story, Jesus puts this man on display for our consideration, for our assessment and evaluation. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one comes to the father and says, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Uh, the father on his death would give the major portion to the firstborn son and then a portion to the secondborn. Uh, and what this son is saying is, I know that you've not died yet, but I want what's coming to me. I want what's mine. I think this demonstrates the father's action as he divides the property between them. Is It demonstrates his foresight. It demonstrates his looking ahead to what he wants his child to be. 
a good design when you think about uh, all the things that we interact with and use out there in daily life. Good design, whether it is phones or cars or tools, begins with the end in mind. Right? It, it focuses on how something is going to be used with, with the goal as the intent. What is the goal that a father ought to have in mind when he considers his child? He needs to have foresight. He needs to look ahead and not just look in the moment right, at, at what, what, what pleases him then, but instead to say, what should these children be? Uh, some of you might remember uh, Brooke, now Gallagher. Uh, she was Brooke Johnson when she was singing on our team. At Brooke and Sam's wedding, Bruce got up and he said, Bruce Johnson, Brooke's father, said that he prayed over and over for his daughter what he called the objective of Christian parenting. And he said it from memory. I have not been able to, uh, to, to keep it uh, memorized, but I've prayed a prayer similar to this for my children for, for many years since then. And this is what he said there. He said that his goal was to raise positive, faith-walking, morally responsible children who love God, love people, and want to make a difference with their lives for the King of Kings. The objective of Christian parenting, this is what he said. This is what he prayed I want to raise positive, faith-walking, morally responsible children who love God, love people, and who want to make a difference with their lives for the King of Kings. A father who has foresight, who plans, is focused on what the child will become, what the child will be, and how the child will grow. Uh, I have made it a practice, and I'm not putting myself up there as the perfect father. I know I have my flaws, but I have always talked with my boys in terms of you will one day be fathers and husbands. You will be citizens, right? You will be adults. It's never been, but you're just children. It's always been one day you'll be this. And so in, in some sense, we have... We have uh, We've never really had the talk, like one day you're going to be a dad and you're going to need to know these things, and then there's this massive laundry list. It's just what we talk about because we're raising children with the end in mind. Talking about what you will become, but also how you will behave. The father focuses on morality and, and who the child will be and should be. Now, I believe that this father, shown by his example, has been an example to his children, and he has prepared this child for independence. What we see in the scriptures is that fathers and mothers are called upon to teach the truth. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 4 where, where we're told to make sure that our children understand the truth and to teach it to them when they rise up and when they sit down. We're to teach the truth. We're also supposed to teach the scripture. You may say those sound like the same things, but there is a difference. We're to teach the truth of the scripture to them, but we're also supposed to teach them the scripture by our model. James says that we're not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers of the word, to live it out in front of them. 
It's important when we teach our children not to lie that we not set a model of lying to them. Now, this is me and my own personal qualms. I always get nervous when I, when I give out my own rules for life because people will then say, um, you know, am I supposed to do that too? But in general, I don't tell telemarketers, like, he's not here right now because that's lying. I say things like, I don't really want to talk to you, you know? <laughs> Can you please take me off your list? You know, because I don't want my children to see model, lying modeled to them. I want them to see not that I think that I'm perfect, but that I understand that I'm supposed to repent. Why? Because hopefully they see the pattern of doing. We're supposed to teach the truth, but then we're also supposed to model the scripture. And we're supposed to teach them the priorities. Not our own priorities. Although that leaks in, but we're to teach them God's priorities. Jesus makes this very simple for us. He says that the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love man. We build that into our character and then we live it out. We'll often tell our children after some performance, whether it's sports or in music or in school, we'll say it is good what happened right there. But the most important thing about you is your character. The way that you handle victory or loss, success or failure. I believe that the father's example here, and we'll talk about, we'll talk about the, the son's response in just a moment. The father's response or the father's preparation of an estate for the child, the father's informing of the child that he will one day inherit it, and the fact that he turns it over demonstrate that he had a plan ahead of time. Many dads, I think, fall into a place where they think that they are just supposed to exist as a material provider. Uh, many men do this, and they do well and work hard at it, and they expect respect for working hard. But dads are also called to be mental providers, right? You know, to focus on education and skills and development. But that also is not enough. They also need to be a moral provider and to show them what's right. To say, this is the way in which you need to walk. The Bible says that the person, the father, who does not discipline his child hates his son. Well, you could say, I don't hate my son. Well, it's certainly not loving to not provide for their moral direction. It is failure in terms of fatherhood. None of us will do this perfectly, but we can look at God the Father who does this perfectly for us, who manages to balance perfect discipline and affection. He lovingly disciplines us, and he cares for us and leads us and guides us. He provided an environment for Adam. He provided a moral framework, and then he set him free to make choices. And I believe this is what good fathers do. Now, what children do with their choices leads us to the second aspect of this. The son comes and asks for the, the property. He asks for his piece of his inheritance. And this then moves on and demonstrates the second quality of the father to us, his forbearance. 
We see this in verses 12 through 20, the forbearance of the father. The father raises and releases an independent child. He's restrained in his control. What we don't see here is a dad who micromanages the son. He lets him learn the hard way. Now, I will confess, Hank's not in here, right, that he's at that age where he's like, I want a bagel, and it's like, you can do it yourself, right? I love this. Uh, my, my wife has at times had a little bit of a crisis about this. Like, my baby's growing up. Look at him. You know, I'll make your bagel for you. I'm like, you can make your own bagel, pour your own milk, pour your own cereal, put the dish in the dishwasher. Success. I love it. Right? Grow up. But as I watch him do things, I go into helicopter mode, you know, and I'm like, ah, stop, no, not this, not that, you know, but you got to pull back and let them learn. The father here does not emotionally blackmail his child, nor does he seek to rule him with guilt. Instead, he has trained him up in the way that he should go. This doesn't mean that he's going to execute it perfectly, this child, but he has trained, the father has trained him up in the way that he should go, and so when he is old, he will hopefully not depart from it. Now, all human children, all people receive a mixture from their parents, both father and mother, a bit of good training and a bit of bad training, and maybe it's a little off balance, you know, you know, for, for some, some have an excellent legacy of good parents, and others, the story that they tell is horrifying. But all of us have received from our parents both legacies and luggage, right? You know? I'd say baggage, but it doesn't start with L. And I like the word legacies. We're called to train children up for autonomy and then to release them, to let them go, but not to give up on them, right? The father leads and guides his son to this place where the son says, this is my path. And then he makes a choice. We can see the model of God the father here in our lives, that God the father is forbearing, that he lets us go, that he sets us free to make choices. But when the time comes, when we, when we turn to him in need, or when we are in the midst of, of despair or difficulty, many of us can confess to having had this experience. I believe that, that the truth of the scripture or the conviction of the Holy Spirit or a, a word fitly spoken by a friend reminds us of the voice of the Lord, and we realize, I've gone my own way. God has let me learn by hard times, by experiencing a difficult path, because this is the way that I chose, and even though I knew the right thing, I went this way on my own. We see that the son takes all that he's been given, and he goes and he squanders all of this, the Bible says, in reckless living. I think today we would have, we would, the kids might say that he threw a rager with all of his money, right? You know, he just, he, no? All right. <laughs> Don't use lingo. You will, you will fail. My children or anybody on the front row here, you guys just totally failed me here. You're supposed to be like, 
You're supposed to react somehow. Anyway, um, he squandered everything. And when he'd spent everything, a famine arose. You know, and his father probably told him, son, you know, I'm going to give you all this money. Don't use it all in one shot. You're going to regret it. You know, he probably gave him some advice, but the kid goes out and he does what he will do. And he finds himself in crisis. His situation gets worse and worse. He hires himself out to one of the, the citizens of that country. And he's in the field feeding pigs for a nice Jewish boy. This is the worst place you could wind up. In a field full of mud, feeding pigs so hungry that you want to eat their food. This is the lowest you can go. And then verse 17 says that he came to himself. That he came to himself, that he had a realization. That he, he looked upon his state and he said, wait a minute. This is not the way that I lived in my father's house. This is, this is not the way that it was supposed to be. And so instead of the stern, lecturing, crushing destroying discipline of the authoritarian, the son realizes and responds to the love and care of the father. He says, my father's servants have more than enough bread, but here I am dying of hunger. And then he makes a plan. I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to say to him, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned in front of you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. And so here we see the quality of the father that he is forgiving. He is forgiving. He arose and came to his father, it says in verse 20. And then we see the contrast. The boy is going home to his father, but we see the, the father in verse 20 as well. It says, while he was still a long way off, the dad saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. All the time that the son has been looking at the party scene, right? Or looking in his wallet to spend money or looking at the fun all around him or looking at the pigs or looking at the food or looking at his own situation. All that time that the son has been looking at different things, the father has been looking for his son, waiting for him to return, waiting for him to come back. And when the father sees his son coming, he is moved with compassion, it says here. Now, dignified Jewish boys don't work with pigs and they don't eat pig food, right? Dignified Jewish dads don't run around. They walk in a stately way. It is, it's considered uh, impolite to show your feet in Jewish society, you know, if you are a regal type person. But it says here that the father ran. He acted in a way that would be considered undignified. He ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, this is, I, I, I have a weakish stomach, I guess. Um, you know, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta muscle up or, you know, get white knuckled when you've got kids. Like if you don't like blood, you know, um, when, when kid is bleeding, it's like you just gotta be dad, 
right? And, and there have been times where I've been like, I'm going to pass out, you know, but I'm like, nope, got to apply pressure or whatever and like handle the situation. Um, it's sad that I don't necessarily apply the same standard to my dog, right? You know, uh, when my dog goes outside and finds something and rolls around in it, I'm just like, new dog? What do you think? <laughs> This kid comes home from being out in the, in the field. He is not getting enough to eat. I'm assuming he's not getting showers or soap or anything. And so he comes home dressed in rags. He probably smelt revolting, disgusting, coming home. A picture of his lack of wisdom and his lack of discipline. He's a picture of his rejection of what his father raised him to be. But the father's attitude is one of compassion. He is moved out of longing and care for his child. And so it says that he saw him. He was looking. He felt compassion. He cared and was moved. He ran and embraced him and kissed him, right? He didn't, he didn't think, uh, new son, you know, get, get some of your smells a little bit better. No, the son then says, and I love the way the son says this. He says, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He prepped a speech just a couple lines ago, right, that included this line, treat me as one of your hired servants. But, you know, it's like if he wrote it down on index cards, you know, and he's like, Father, I've sinned against you, right? You know, he, he, he expresses that, that reality. He, he knows he sinned. He realizes that he ruined a good thing, but, but when he sees his dad's response, the forgiveness that seems to be flowing, does he take that third index card, make me as one of your hired servants, and just kind of put it back in his pocket? I don't even need to say that. I don't, I don't, need, to, I don't need to vocalize that. He was met with compassion. The father ran. He was the first to make the move. Now, I, I think for dads, for men, this can be difficult. I believe that men thrive on respect. They want to be honored. They want to be viewed as a good provider and a hard worker and as capable and competent, and it can be difficult when respect is not given. Pride can interfere. And some dads can get trapped into bad patterns of behavior. I believe what children are craving and seeking is the warm welcome of the parent. And so pride needs to be overcome and, and the parent needs to welcome with compassion. We see here the father initiating making things right. He acknowledges the failure or the error, but he restores the relationship. There is no harsh edge here. Instead, there is grace. Why? Because the father understands that relationship is the priority, not punishment. Punishment may lead to discipline and growth, but forgiveness restores the relationship, and that is the goal. I believe that many of us walk around with baggage related to our heavenly father. That we think that we must be perfect in order to be accepted. 
that we think that if we fail, that we have somehow lost our place. That if we do not obey perfectly, then God is furiously angry with us. And that he plans on rejecting us. I think it's Spurgeon who said, what a horrible thought. That God would give someone forgiveness. And that he would give them the right to be called his child. And then that person would contemplate that God would unchild him. When Jesus tells a parable about what the father is like, about what the heavenly father is like, his attitude towards these sinners and tax collectors, and his attitude towards these uh, religious uh, hypocrites who are, who are judging the people who are coming to Jesus, the attitude of the father that's presented is one who lovingly receives and who shows compassion and who receives all who come to himself with forgiveness. His relationship is the priority. And so we see that the father has foresight. We see that the father has uh, forbearance. We see that the father is forgiving. But now we see that the father is forgetful. He's forgetful in verses 22 to 24. I believe that it can be relatively easy to forgive. But it can be incredibly difficult to forgive and to forget. It can be, it can be easy to say, you know what, I, I, need to, I need to be strong about this. And I need to just not let this get in the way. And I need to say, you know what, I'm sorry for what I said. You're sorry for, like, I forgive you and to move on. I believe that that can, you know, you can, you can make the mental effort. But boy, once you bury that hatchet, forgetting where you left it, you know, refusing to go get the shovel and dig it up, that's difficult. Forgetting what someone else has done and, 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 and not bringing it back up again or not mentally saying, oh, well, when I do this, they'll do that because that's what they did in the past. That constant, that, that over and over and over again. That is difficult. But we see that the father here does not hold a grudge. He doesn't apply demerits to his son. I believe this is because the father is motivated by a heart of love. And so while there might need to be rules in place and guidelines for this son or some kind of limitations put on him, he is still received back as a member of the family and not put into the second class. Proverbs 10, 12 says this, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 17, 9, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. 1 Peter 4, 8, just so that we can say that this is something that shows up in the New Testament, not just in the Old Testament, right? Above all, keep loving one earnestly. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, this doesn't mean that there don't need to be some guidelines or some kind of uh, 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 barriers in place or some kind of rules put in place to guide children, even adult children or, or uh, those people around us. But relationship is the goal and restoration 
to the relationship is the goal. What we see on display from this son is a truly repentant heart. And the father sees that and responds to it with joy. Notice what the son does. In verse 17, we see regret for the deed, right? We see, we see his regret. He's like, I should have stayed there. I'm perishing with hunger. Look at what I did to myself. And he doesn't blame the father. He blames himself. I've sinned against heaven and before you. He acknowledges the father's right to be displeased. No longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against you and your dignity. And he resolves not to repeat the mistake, but instead to mend the relationship. And so it says he arose and came to his father. This is the good news, I believe, of God's attitude towards us and one that we ought to model as parents and within our relationship. When we see a change of attitude, we ought to receive and accept the person who's confessing to a change of attitude. When someone comes to us and asks for forgiveness, we ought to say within, this is a person who is doing the right thing, and I ought to find compassion within myself and respond appropriately. A change of attitude then results in a change of affection, which results in a change of action. We see the son, he came to himself. His attitude towards the situation changes. He was like, I'm free. I am far from dad. I can do what I want. I have all the resources. And then he found himself in a horrible situation. And he changes in his attitude or his orientation towards his father. And then his affections change. Instead of loving his situation where he has placed himself, he says, I'm going to arise and go back to where it was good. It was good there. We see his action, which leads him back to his father. The good news in this story is that this is not just a story. This is a representation of the way that God the Father responds to us when we come to him. And if God the Father responds to us this way when we come to him, and our sin against him is infinitely greater than anything that our children could ever do to us, anything that we could ever do to our parents, if God forgives us in this way, how much more ought we to forgive and to show compassion to our children? and affection towards those who wronged us. Psalm 103, verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins. Boy, that's trouble right there. How many people in my life do I deal with according to their actions? That's like everybody, right? But God the Father doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Instead, he shows compassion and kindness to us. Now, lest we think that what God is setting up for us here is an environment where anything goes and we can get away with anything and there's no consequences ever, and you know, uh, we see that the Father is focused at the end of the story. His priorities are in the right place, his perspective is correct. 
the younger brother lost perspective. He focused on riches and pleasure and enjoyment and now and whatever, right? You know, he just, he wanted to have it now. And he did his thing his way and he wound up in a world of hurt. And the father then focuses on what is truly important. You are back. Now, lest the son who has realized that he is no longer worthy to be called a son continue to punish and torment himself for what he did wrong, the father makes a demonstration of the son's status. Bring the best robe, he says. Not like, go get my son's robe and put it back on him, right? Not, not go get the clothing that we provide to anybody who works here, right? He says, go get him the best robe. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Let's restore him. Let's throw a party and celebrate to demonstrate to the son that all is well and the relationship is restored. Because the father's focus is on relationship. The father's focus is on showing the son that he is loved and that you have come home is a good thing. So they kill the fatted calf, and it says that they began to celebrate. Now, the older son, who has always been a good boy, he's actually been the best, right? He's never done anything wrong. Father has no reason to ever be displeased with him. He hears that the son has... I'm being sarcastic, by the way. Um, I maybe do little finger quotes there. Um, he, he hears the music and dancing as he's coming home from working hard in the field. And he calls one of the servants and says, what's going on? Your brother's come home. Oh, really? That worthless, rotten piece of trash has come back, right? Your dad's killed the fattened calf. He's received him back safe and sound. And the son's like, what? No, 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 no. This is not how we treat people who, who, who come home after squandering the inheritance. No, he deserves to be punished. He deserves to be mistreated. He needs to learn, and he needs to be taught a lesson. So he refuses to go in. Now, look at the father's priority. Look, we got a party going on here, right? Son, you need to put on your company face and understand that people are over, and it is not time for you to have a crisis. Now, you get yourself in there, or I'm going to teach you a lesson, right? That's not the way he responds, though. It says the father came out and entreated him. Come to the party. What's going on? You should, you should be part of this. Your brother's back. The son says, all these years I've served you. I, he, look at what he did. I've, I've served you for years. I've never disobeyed your command. Where's my reward, Dad? He took everything that you saved and everything that you were, were going were gonna to give on, on your death, and he went and he wasted it, and you don't celebrate me. You give him the fattened calf. I never got, like, the slightly plump goat. You know, what's up with that, Dad? Where is the Father? He is doing what is best for those that he loves. Party guests are celebrating, son is inside, relationship restored. The son understands who he is in relationship to his father. He's, he's, he's probably showered a little bit by now. I'm hoping that like bring the best robe means like scrub him down first, right? So he's inside, you know, 
um, and, and, and enjoying. But the father is outside with the son who has lost perspective. Because the younger boy lost perspective, but perspective has been restored. The older son has lost perspective. He has a, a wrong image of himself, a wrong image of his father, and a wrong image of his brother. And dad is outside refocusing the older son. Reassuring him, you're always with me. You're always with me. Anything you need, anything you want, that's yours. All that's mine is yours. One of the things that I, I think is important to remember and to notice about parenting is parenting is hard work. It is demanding. The story ends here without the reaction of the children. We don't get to see what they do. We don't get to see whether, you know, the younger son is like, ha, ah, thanks, dad, you know, like going to take more and run off. You know, we don't know if the older son gets angry. We don't know if the older son beats up the younger son, you know, goes inside and, you know, puts him in a, a headlock. And, you know, we don't know. We don't know what happens. Because though we've been given good examples and a perfect set of commandments, we still have to execute those plans imperfectly. Right? But it's important to remember that parenting is just a season. It passes in a heartbeat. It's just gone. I got to speak at my son's uh, baccalaureate uh, service uh, just a couple weeks ago, and he sang Bridge Over Troubled Waters, right? A song which was on a cassette tape that I owned when I graduated high school, and I used to drive around listening to this cassette, you know, and you know, singing because nobody could hear me sing, you know, and just driving around in my little uh, dark blue, uh, it was, a, uh, it was a, a Volkswagen Rabbit with a little crank sunroof. You know, you can't find those cars anymore. And suddenly I'm here listening to my son graduating high school, listening to this song that I used to listen to when I graduated high school, and then I had to get up and speak, right? And, and I, I said right then, like, whoever thought this was a good idea, I want to have a talk with you, you know? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm you know... But man, those years, those 18 years passed like that. It was more than 18 years, but I'm like, I'm still that old in my head. But here I am. Will you execute your parenting duties perfectly? No, you won't. But you can focus on the right priorities. You can focus on helping your children maintain perspective. And you can maintain your perspective yourself and you can say my job is to keep praying and keep pressing and keep applying and focusing my children on the fact that they are to love God and love others and one of the best ways that I can do that is to model that behavior towards them now I don't know what their lives will look like all throughout their lives but I know this that hopefully my children will know that their dad and their mom did not think that they were perfect, but that they sought to model all kinds of gospel-related behavior towards them. The father is focused on the end goal of raising children who live in a way that reflects the goodness of God. As we close, uh, I want to focus on the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father had the foresight 
to plan for the fact that given independent choices, humanity would reject and rebel, right? I, I, I am the kind of person who has had to learn the hard way in my life. You know, it is, it is difficult to watch and to see kids occasionally, right? You tell them, don't touch that, it's hot. Stay away from that, it's hot. You will get burned, you will get cut, you will get hurt, you know? And then, you know, five minutes later, you know, the kid comes inside and they're like, I need a Band-Aid. And you're like, did you touch it? Of course they did, because they have to learn the hard way. God had the foresight and he planned to save humanity from eternity past. He is forbearing in that he lets us go. He gives us freedom of choice and independence. And he says, this is the way, walk in it, choose it. And he speaks to us in a compassionate still small voice to lead us and guide us on our way. When we come to ourselves and we realize that we have sinned against him, he is forgiving. And the Bible says that as far away as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our sins. Corey ten Boom used to say that God buries our sins in the deepest place in the ocean and then hangs up a sign that says, no fishing. He doesn't shove these things in our face. Instead, he responds to us consistently and constantly with compassion. And he is focused, keeping everything in proper perspective. What a joy to serve a Savior who says this. You worry about my kingdom and my righteousness. Don't worry about any of the things that other people worry about. What you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, don't worry about that stuff. I will take care of you. And he cares enough to tell us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. This is good news. My encouragement as we close this morning, no matter where you are, no matter whether your, your father uh, is, was, was good or was not, whether he left you with, with baggage or with a, a legacy, whether you are in a, in a good place with your father today or in a bad place, no matter where you are, the encouragement is this. Your heavenly father cares for you. He loves you. His attitude towards you is one of compassion, and he has made a way for you to come to him at any time and to say, I'm coming home. I am here. Receive me. And that's not just a one-time offer, folks. You may be a Christian for 20 years and say, when am I going to get it perfectly right? The answer is never. When is he going to stop caring for me and stop forgiving me? The answer is never. His mercies are new every morning. They're always fresh, always ready. And so you can always come home. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to speak these words to us, to teach us about what a father ought to be like. And though we cannot execute this perfectly, we can't live all this out in the way that would be perfectly and utterly pleasing to you. We thank you that you sent Jesus to take our sins upon himself, to die on the cross and to purchase our forgiveness. We thank you that all of us, though we are not 
your children by nature. You created us. We can all become your children by grace. If we come to you and say, I've sinned against you, forgive me. Your answer is always yes. We thank you for that. We pray that you would help us to cultivate a sense of the truth of the way that you think about us. You love us and care for us. May that not be driven from our minds by the lies of the devil or by the lies that we tell ourselves. But instead, let us feed ourselves on the truth. I pray if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus, who's not assured of their salvation, I pray that you would help them to turn to you and to cling to you for righteousness. Father, we thank you for the good things that you've given to us. We pray that you would help us to honor and to love our fathers today and to look to you through them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.